0: morning, guys. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for being here on this gorgeous spring day. Still spring, right? It's like light at 4.15 in the morning. Anybody else notice that besides me? Which is cool, I like it, I'm good with that. Hey, we're gonna be, uh, continue in our series, Unoffendable today we'll be in part two, taking a look at uh, what some call righteous indignation. And we'll be in uh, Mark, the third tap chapter, if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, uh, encourage you to go to Mark, the third chapter. We'll get there in just a bit. Last week, uh, when we started this series, the big idea was this, and here's what I tried to convince you of, and we call it a crazy idea, that you can actually choose to be unoffendable, that we don't have to always be mad, that we can choose, that we can be adults, we can be Christ followers, uh, we can make the choice to not be offendable. In other words, you can choose not to take offense and get angry when someone does or says something mean or unfair to or about you, and it happens to us all the time. Uh, I received an email a couple months ago, two, or three months ago, from a lady. It was her very first time at East Point. I'm um, pretty sure it was her very last time at East Point as well. And uh, it was a long and very harsh email, it happens. And she uh, didn't like the music, it was too loud. Didn't like uh, the songs, they were, you know, she didn't know any of them. She didn't like me, because I was too loud, and I didn't do you know, verse by verse through the text. She didn't like James, because he had a hat on, he had a hat on today too, but I just, by the way, In case you're wondering, if we were Jewish, we'd all be in hats, so it's cool, I don't care, it doesn't matter, God doesn't care either. But um, she didn't like the ladies because they were too pretty, and she went on and on and on. It was quite long and quite harsh. Uh, I, I actually replied, and I was, believe it or not, I really was kind and loving to her. I was kind and loving, but I also made it clear, we are not a church for everybody. And here's a little insight. We don't even try to be a church for everybody. There are lots of great churches in this town and many of the pastors are personal friends of mine that I have coffee with, I have lunch with. Dan at Valley Real Life, Danny at at, uh, uh, Sun River, uh, Kent at at Valley Assembly, Will down the street, one of my best friends. There are a lot of great churches, great pastors in this town. And one of the things that's cool about it is that they're all a little different. And we, at East Point, know that everything we do here is a bridge to some and a barrier to others. Some walk in and they see a former Kmart a me and Jeans, they go, cool, I like this, it's not very churchy. Others walk in, they go, where's the rope? Where's the choir? What's up with the guys dancing around, doing music? They don't like it, and so uh, we understand that we're not a church for everybody. My point in that is that I had to make a choice not to be offended, and we can choose to be unoffendable, and that does not mean, however, that we ignore the things that happen to us. It doesn't mean we ignore the offense. It means simply this, and this was the big deal, and I gotta say it again that we choose to love others even when, as I said last week, especially when we've been wronged. We choose. We've all been wronged. In fact, is there anybody here, let me, I'll do it this way. Has has anyone been wronged in the last month? Raise your hand. Yeah. And We've all been wronged. Something happens, somebody says something, it's not fair, it's not right, and the point of last week was that we love, we choose to take the high road, we choose to be unoffendable, we love. Even when, especially when, we've been wrong. That's the big idea. But today we're going to address the issue of righteous indignation or righteous anger. And, and one of the questions that's a reasonable question to ask is, are there times where it's, it's okay to be angry uh, when something's truly unjust and truly unholy? And I know, because if you've read the book or if you've uh, listened to where we've been so far, you probably thought, well, didn't Jesus get angry? Well, let's take, take a look at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. So, this guy's got a crippled hand, and he's there. Some of them, meaning the Pharisees, the religious riot of the day, the guys who hated Jesus, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So, they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jewish law forbade, forbade people to do any work, to do any labor on the Sabbath. They considered healing work. And so they were watching closely to see if Jesus was gonna heal that guy. Verse three, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Gotta love Jesus. He doesn't like messing around. Oh uh, yeah, you, uh, yeah, I know everybody's paying attention to you, stand up. Stand in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, them again being the religious guys, the, the ultra-religious, the, the Pharisees, the self-righteous, said, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? And I'm pretty sure at that point, you could have heard a cricket fart. It was very quiet in that room. (laughs) It says, they remained silent. They didn't say a word. Verse five, here it is. He looked around, Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. In anger and deeply distressed. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and the hand was completely restored. I love Jesus. I just love him. Instantly, boom, there's this miracle of, of healing that happens in this guy. Can you imagine being that guy? You're standing up, everybody a little embarrassed, now they're singling out, your, in fact, you're handicapped, and you're standing up at everybody, and, and Jesus, you know, asks a tough question, it's awkward, it's very tense, you can just cut it with a, a knife, and all of a sudden, Jesus says to the guy, stretch out your hand, just, and the, as he does that, it's healed. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Needless to say, Jesus pushed a lot of buttons, and it got him killed. Ultimately, these are the guys that, that killed him. And what I need you to see is Jesus definitely got angry. No doubt about it. In his book, Unoffendable, which I guess we've sold out here and all the local stores, it's not available, you can pick it up on Amazon probably, but the book that we're using, that I've used, is i ripped the title off and have read it twice. This book by Brant Hanson, Unoffendable, addresses the issue of righteous indignation. In fact, it's in chapter 13. And I agree with most, but not all, of what he had to say about this particular side of anger. Now, for the record, I don't agree with everybody about anything. In fact, I've written five books, and sometimes I go back. And I, Why did I write that? I don't agree with that. So I many times, I don't agree with my own myself. Things change. You know, I mean, I'm not talking about core issues of faith, but there there are times opinions change, things happen, and there are some things in this book that I absolutely agree with. Even in that chapter, I would agree with him. That too often we have an, quote so justified anger that we can't imagine doing the right thing without it. I agree with him that we have so justified anger that we cannot imagine not doing the right thing without being angry. I also agree with him in that chapter that anger and action are two very different things. This was very insightful anger and action are two very different things and he said, and I agree it's possible to for for to, to to supplant or to have what we would call righteous anger, and in effect, we substitute action for a feeling. Instead of taking action, we congratulate ourselves for a feeling rather than doing something. Many years ago, I pastored a church. This was a long time ago, 20 years ago in Portland, Oregon. And uh, when I first showed up, it was a church that was in distress and trouble and struggling. Uh, One of the ladies that was there, her name was Jerry, uh, she told me about week two or three. She came up to me after service. She said, I was here before you came. I'll be here after you go. And uh, she didn't like me. I said, ah, whatever. And, and uh, the truth of the matter is, I actually drove her out after a while. She couldn't take it, didn't like me at all. It was very, very profound. But one of the things she didn't like about it was that I had a very uh, 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 evangelical heart. I, I want to reach the lost in that city, as I do here. And uh, she came to me one day. She said, That's a long story. I'll give you the short version. She said, we, uh, I've been involved in a in, uh, uh, pro-life movement, and I'm against abortion, which I'm sure you are too, and, and I, I want us to march. As a church, there's this organization that we're organizing a march downtown Portland, and then we're gonna link hands across the city, and, and I want us to, as a church, I want you to promote that. And I looked at her and I said, uh, no, I'm not gonna do that. Well, why not? I said, well, here's a couple of reasons. Reason number one is, of course I'm pro-life, but I'm trying to reach people, including women who've had abortions, and I don't wanna alienate. I, I don't wanna be thrown into the lump uh, the people who are just anti, uh, uh, the haters, people who just seem to be opposed to everything and, and that's often what Christians are known for. I said, no, I wanna reach those ladies and the minute I promote that thing, I alienate that whole group. By the way, side note, three months later, a woman in our church got saved and she told me, I've told this story before, she never would've stayed, never would've come if I had uh, joined that, that group. I said, no, I, that's not really who we are. And the second thing I said is because I'm tired of Christians who just rant and rave and scream and protest and raise their ugly banners and they don't do anything. They're not doing anything, to make a difference. And I looked at her and I said, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to adopt a child from a single mom? Are you willing to financially support and help a, a single mom who who's chooses to, to, to save that life and to have a baby? What are you willing to do? And she very adamantly said, I am taking a public stand. And I said, no, you're not. So the best way we take a stand is by action, not by an attitude. So I agree that sometimes it's possible for righteous anger to actually impede the taking of action because we congratulate congratulate ourselves for feeling rather than actually doing anything about it. I agree with Hanson that too often the world looks at Christians as a group of self-righteous hypocrites patting themselves on the back for being angry while actually doing very little, if anything, to set things right. And whether you like to hear that or not, that's the way the world perceives us. Did you know that? I don't think it's always true. Sometimes I think it's unfair. But by and large, we have been very good at vocalizing our anger and we don't really do anything. Now I agree, he also said this, that we can recognize injustice, stand up for justice, and even sacrifice our lives fighting for it. And he says we can do that without anger. In fact, he promotes love as the best motivator. And of course he's right. First Corinthians 13, if I don't have love, it doesn't mean squat. If I don't have love, it's nothing. Without love, it doesn't matter. And so yes, of course we have to have love. But he suggests that action does not need to be born out of anger. And again, I would agree with him. Action does not have to be born out of anger. However, here's where I disagree. I disagree with his conclusion that righteous anger can never be a godly motivator. I disagree. The issue for me, though, and here's, listen carefully. The problem, in my view, is not righteous indignation, but self-righteous human anger that we Christians often exhibit in a way that makes it seem like or sound like we are morally superior and above others. That's the problem. And so I'll put it this way, and it's, it'll be on the screen, right after you take a note. Self-righteousness is the problem, not righteous indignation. I think the real problem, and I think I had a conversation with Brandt, he would probably agree that the real issue, the real problem is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the problem, not righteous indignation. And one of the most common end results of self-righteousness is human anger. Now last week I said human anger is the problem. And one of the most common fruits of or or results of self-righteousness, think about somebody you know that's self-righteous. Probably didn't take too long for you to think of somebody like that, huh? I bet you money that person's angry all the time. They're spouting out, they're angry. It's, a, it's a, one of the fruits of self-righteousness. We think we're better. We think we're superior. We get angry when people aren't as good as we are. And we too quickly forget. And here's why this is a grace place. Because too often, too, quick, too many forget that we're all sinners. Just sinners saved by the mercy and grace of God. A Couple of weeks ago, I uh, posted a blog. I blog on a regular basis about once a week. My blog's called Perfectly Imperfect and I, I, I enjoy writing and I love putting things out there once in a while. I wrote a blog called No Secrets and it was basically about encouraging people to live transparent lives. In that blog I quoted one of my heroes, a guy, Dr. Pastor James Emery White, love that guy. And he made this statement and I quoted him in my blog. Here it is, quote, as Christians we are redeemed by Christ and engaged in the ongoing process of transformation but we are still sinners, nonetheless. And I completely agree with that position. Yes, we are redeemed. Yes, we are being transformed, but yes, we are still on this side of eternity, we wrestle with sin. Almost immediately, I mean like within an hour, I got an email uh, from a guy in Texas, the Bible Belt, and he took great offense at that statement. He disagreed with Dr. White, disagreed with me, and he said, I don't wanna be identified as a sinner. And I, and I understood some of what he was saying. Obviously we are, that is not our identity. That's not, that's not all. We are in Christ, we are forgiven. I've said this many times, I said it last week, that in Christ we, have a, we are perfect in our position in him. We sang about it this morning. I stand in the righteousness of Jesus, perfect before the throne, yes, absolutely. But I'm still imperfect in my practice, just like you. We are perfectly imperfect, and I tried to explain that to him. He didn't like it, but I said, well, that's my position because I think that once we begin to, to distance ourselves from the reality that we still struggle with sin, we still make mistakes. How many of you have sinned like maybe once in the last 24 hours? A thought, a word, an action, something. And again, I think it's the, the, my struggle, and again, I get on my, my, my bully pulpit here, with the church is that too often we come off as morally superior. We've got it all together, and you're a bunch of jerks. Rather than saying, you know what, all we have is grace, mercy, the goodness of God. And we get it, we are, in fact, I put it this way all the time, there's no high ground to stand on. In truth, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's level. The term self-righteousness, I've used it several times, just let me give you a definition. Defined by yourdictionary.com as being filled with or showing a conviction of being morally superior or more righteous than others, smugly virtuous. That last little phrase, smugly virtuous, I think is a great uh, way to define what self-righteousness is. Smugly virtuous, meaning conceited, arrogant, haughty, rather than humble and grateful. In other words, a modern-day Pharisee. When listening to someone who's smoldering with self-righteousness, here's what I often hear. I I often hear these phrases, um, the word right or fair or should. That's not right, that's not fair, that's not the way it should be. They should do it this way, they're not doing it the right way, it's not fair. When someone is struggling with self-righteousness, or I'll own it, when I'm struggling with self-righteousness, those are often the words that come out of my mouth. They're they're red flags to me. It's not fair, it's not right. It's not the way it should be, that's not the way they should do it. And a lot of us are tempted with that self-righteous indignation when driving. The driver ahead of us is driving too slow or too fast, or cuts us off, or makes us some you know, terribly stupid mistake, and we're filled with outrage. Isn't it amazing how quickly we just go ballistic? We just go crazy. We lay on the horn. We do other things, and we yell at them. We make sure that everyone knows that guy's wrong. They should be doing better. They shouldn't be, it's not right. The nerve of that guy, what a loser. I wanna remind you, what I said last week, that human anger is never listed as a fruit of the Spirit, ever. Human anger, listen again to the words of James, James 1.20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger is not going to get you to being more like God, being more like Jesus. Human righteousness does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In fact, I'll put it this way. In the end, if the end result of our righteous indignation is not developing and releasing righteousness in us and through us, then it's not righteous anger. We might wanna call it that, but if it's not releasing in us and through us God's righteousness, then it's not righteous anger. St. Thomas Aquinas put it this way, he wrote this once, he that is angry without just cause shall be in danger. But he that is angry with just cause shall not be in danger, for without righteous anger, teaching will be useless, judgments unstable, crimes unchecked, and therefore to be angry is not always an evil. And I would agree with St. Tom. But righteous indignation with a just cause is anger about those things that are destroying the lives of people that God loves. It's destroying, literally killing people. And there are so many examples. I'll just give you a few child abuse, racism, abortion, pornography, human trafficking. Those are the things that break the heart of God. And this, these sins break the, the heart of God because they ruin people, people whom He deeply loves. And so when we're angry about those things and we have his heart for that, then I think that's righteous indignation. So let me shift gears. And I'm not very profound, but I try to be practical. How do you know if your anger is with just cause, godly and not self-righteous arrogance? How can we know for sure if if our anger is human anger, self-righteous anger, or righteous indignation? Well here's a short answer, it's on your screen. We can know for sure that our anger or indignation is righteous when it's directed toward what angers God himself. Clearly defined, here's the path. How do we know for sure that our, our anger is, indi- is righteous indignation? If it's directed toward what angers God himself. Back to Mark three. What did Jesus become angry with the Pharisees about? Why did he become angry with him? Because the Pharisees put their rules and their regulations above caring for the broken and their hearts were hard and stubborn. They made it all about religiosity and doing the right thing and rather than caring for people, loving people. And Jesus' anger occurred because of their hard-heartedness. They wouldn't even answer him. It says they remained silent when he said, what's more important, to do good and to save a life or to kill? They wouldn't even answer, and that's hard-heartedness. He was angry about the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. Another time, John chapter two, I don't have time to take a look at it, but John two, Jesus becomes angry at the merchants selling their goods in the temple. And they turned the tables over and chased the animals out of the temple. He was angry because they turned God's house of prayer into a place of merchandise, and they were ripping people off. They'd forgotten they'd abandoned their mission, why they truly existed. But here's what I need you to understand. Listen carefully. Jesus' righteous indignation, his anger, was not just expressed in emotional outrage. He didn't just have a temper tantrum, it it always resulted in action for the benefit of others. Listen, that's important. Jesus didn't just have a fit. He didn't, you know, get down on the ground and kick and scream and yell like a two-year-old might do. His anger drove him to action for the benefit of others. He cleared the temple. He healed the man with the crippled hand. In fact, I need to make it clear here, a very clear distinction, that in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and throughout the entire New Testament, there's no record that Jesus ever became angry because of what people did to him. In fact, just the opposite. He did not become angry because of what people said to him or about him or angry because of what anyone did to him. In fact, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they they do. The anger of Jesus was not to protect himself or his image or his rights. And that's another way we can delineate or define whether it's self-righteousness or not. The anger of Jesus was not to protect himself His image or his rights, it was always, 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 always for the benefit of others. Again, let's be honest. Often our indignation is not righteous because it's not otherly focused. And so it is self-righteous, it's about us. We're trying to protect our reputation, our rights, our image, what we want. And sometimes when we say we're angered by the sin of others, what, you know, or angered by sin, what we really mean is we're, sin, we're angry at the sin of other people's sins, but, but not so much ours. We conveniently, conveniently forget that we're all recovering idiots. Again, that we're all subject to, to failure. As Brant Hansen again put it in his book, whatever anyone's done to me or to anyone else, I stand just as guilty. Now when you let that settle in for a minute, it really begins to reduce your tendency to be self-righteous and angry at people. You realize, I can't believe that person did that to me. Uh, you've probably done the same thing to somebody else. He says, I, you know, whatever anyone's done to me or anyone else, I stand just as guilty. I get angry about immorality, but I've been immoral. I get angry with injustice, but I've been unjust. I get angry about lawbreakers, but I've broken the law. And again, as Hanson says, we want to think that people are worse than us. It's one of our favorite pastimes. Everybody's an idiot but me. And that's an unholy path to go. The problem is it's powerful emotion. That, that anger is a powerful emotion that can be quite exhilarating. But it comes at a high cost. When we put others down and, and we're trying to put ourselves up, I think we've forgotten what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? See, Jesus was all about integrity and personal integrity. Responsibility. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Why are you worried about that thing when you pay no attention to the fact that there's a big old plank in yours? Maybe, and here's a suggestion, that our time and energy would be better spent developing our character rather than worrying about everybody else's. Are you angry about the things that anger God? That's the question. And have you owned the fact that you might be angry about something you've been guilty of and that at least temper your anger? So I'll wrap this up, I'm gonna wrap this up and give you some some very practical things you can do that will help you examine or check if your anger is self-righteous, human anger, or truly righteous indignation. And by the way, I'll give you a little insight here. You'll be surprised at how often it is self-righteousness. It is human anger, it's not righteous indignation. But here's three things you can do. Number one, examine your motives. Examine your motives. How do I know if this is righteous or not? Examine your motives. If you find yourself angry and condemning people, Ask yourself, is this an issue that really is that important? Does it anger God or am I angry for some other reason? Examine your motives. Ask the why question. Why am I mad? Here's the second thing. Examine your feelings. In that moment, examine your feelings. How do you feel when you're complaining about or reporting the behavior of someone else? Superior? Powerful? Better than others? Yeah, that falls under the category of my book and the the Bible's book of self-righteousness. Is that the true motivation for it, or are you really trying to fight for what's right because that's what God wants? Examine your motivations, examine your feelings. Number three, examine the effects. Examine the effects. What effect is this behavior having on your life? What's the fruit of that? Has it damaged your career? Has it cost you friends? Has it caused unholy conflict within your family? Unholy conflict. Some conflict is normal, actually can be good, but unholy conflict is not. Or is is it actually motivating you to change? Examine the effects, is this motivating me to change or to wanna be a change agent in my world? One last story, I have some dear friends, we've known them for a long time, Brian and Eileen Rowe. In fact for a while we actually lived together when we were all young and had kids and shared a house and uh, they're an amazing couple. They still live in Southern California and they're still friends and I just think the world of them. Uh, Years after we had moved north actually to Portland and they still live there, they became um, very righteously indignant about racism and poverty in, in the area that they lived in, in Southern California. Very righteously indignant about racism and poverty. By the way, those things anger the heart of God as well. But rather than just get angry, rather than spout off, rather than just you know, march against it or do something you know, that makes everybody know that I'm really angry about this, they did this amazing thing. They literally moved their entire family into a poor Hispanic neighborhood because they wanted to make a difference. I never in, in my entire life had ever seen anybody do what they did. They literally moved their family into a neighborhood that you would not want to drive through. They were the only Angle people for miles. They lived in a neighborhood that was rough and tough and they lived there on purpose because they were righteously indignant about racism and poverty. And they said, we're gonna make a difference. We're gonna love our neighbors. We're gonna reach out and serve our neighbors. And they were like this beam of light, this, this unbelievable beam of light in a very dark situation. It made a difference. Their righteous indignation drove them to anger. Yes, but it was holy anger. It drove them to action. It didn't just stay at the feeling and emotion level, it led them to actually wanna make a difference. I believe righteous indignation has its place. That's where Brant and I would probably disagree. I think far too often, and I would agree with him far too often. The majority of the time, what we call righteous anger is anything but. And so I would say we need to guard our hearts against arrogance, against pride, against self-righteousness, or we risk becoming nothing more than just a modern-day Pharisee, and that's not what God wants for you. And I know that's not what he wants for us as a church. Alright, let me pray for you. Jesus, you modeled for something that... Uh, I'm still learning, I'm still trying to figure out how to actually be more like you in this area. But I do know, I, I, I get this, God, that what you did was always for the benefit of others. It wasn't to protect yourself, Jesus. It wasn't to protect your rights or your reputation. It was because you loved and cared for others. And I, I wonder, Lord, I wonder what it'd be like for a church to not be known for what it, is against, to not be known as haters, to not be known as those who, you know, make a stinking rally and, and, uh, and spew off all sorts of verbal assaults. What would it be like to be a part of a church, Lord, where we do, where our righteous indignation motivates us to change the world we live in, to make a difference, to sacrifice as you did, to love as you did, to lay our lives down as you did for the benefit of others. God, I want us to be that kind of church, known for what we do. Motivated by love? Absolutely. Motivated by a righteous indignation that says, I know God hates this. I know he doesn't. So I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in the world I live in. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe here today you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower and you've investigated Christianity and church, you've been kind of looking for a while maybe, thinking about it. But it's dawned on you, you know. Um, I need God. I need a Savior. And you really haven't found a place like this yet that has said what we said today. We, we want to love. We want to stand on, on level ground. We want to embrace the cross because we all need His grace. And today you get it deeper than you have before. And thinking, Man, if that's what it means, if that's what is it, involved, then that's what I want. If today you're here and you're ready to begin your life as a Christ follower, or you're watching online, and you know it's time for you to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. What I'm going to ask you to do is make this prayer yours right now. Make my words your words. Make this your heart's cry to God. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, to live for me, to pay the price for my sin on that cross. And I, I, I get it. You love me. It was the love that of God that drove Jesus to the cross, it was the love for people that drove him to sacrifice his life. And I'm so grateful. This morning, I get it, you did that for me, and I confess to you right now, I need you, I need a savior, I need forgiveness, I need mercy, I need grace, I need a new beginning. And right here, right now, I surrender my life to you. As you surrendered your life for me, Jesus, right here, right now, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm yours. And the Bible says, when we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that, that that He is Lord, that He is the one we want to follow, that He is our Savior, that in that moment we become His kids, His children, His sons and daughters forever. You're His. And in this moment, right now, if you say yes, God, that's me. That's what I want. The Bible says you become in that instant, in that nanosecond, you become. Holy, righteous before God. Still a long ways to go in your practice, but your position now is you're perfect before the Lord. That's what he did. That's what he's done for you. Lord, seal that reality in our hearts. Let us leave here today, all of us, whether we began our journey today or we've been walking with you for a long time, seal in our hearts that we belong to you because of what you've done and then help us to be more like you. And that's why I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're gonna finish one last song. It's one of my favorites. That's a song that declares the goodness of God, which is why we're here today. Let's worship together. I'll come back and wrap it up. He is perfect in all of his ways. and His ways are always for the benefit of others. Even when God is righteously indignant, it's because he wants people to change and grow and live. What breaks my heart is in the name of God, in the name of Allah, tragedy has happened again and again and again. I suspect there's some religious reason What happened in Orlando this morning happened. Somebody took a self-righteous act and took the life of many, many people. People that God loves. People that He cares about. From Orlando to Iraq to Pakistan to, uh, name it, throughout the world. Religious people have all too often self-righteously taken matters into their own hands and destroyed life. That is not God. That is not the heart of Jesus. That is not what He wants for us righteous indignations. We're angry at the things that damage and hurt and kill and destroy. And angry at the things that anger God. And we're driven then to make a difference. I hope you know that this church is about making a difference in this city, in this region, in this world. We're here for that very reason. Because I believe that we can change. We can be change agents for the kingdom. Today, you began your life as a Christ follower. You engaged in that first step of change in your own life. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Tell them. Come up, talk to me or Matt. We want to pray with you. We want to start this journey with you. On the tables by the doors, there's a plastic bag. It's our gift, it's a gift bag with Bibles, material, to get you started in your walk with Jesus. I want to encourage you to connect with us through either uh, text us or email us. We want to walk with you in this journey. This is important. Pray to me, be down front. Communion is available on both sides of the route. We'll go this week, and if you get angry, be righteous, make a change, make a difference. God bless you guys. I love you. Thanks for being here today. See you next week.